You're listening to The Critical Thought, where we challenge our listeners to use critical thinking when examining the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. Hi, this is JT, and welcome to another episode of The Critical Thought. Today we have goat-like personality. We'd like to welcome you from across the pond. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, I know we've been trying for a while to get together and schedules and everything has really just made it difficult. But I'm glad I had a chance to, we finally was able to coordinate getting together today. So to get started, what we'd like to do is if you could give people just a little bit of your background. So how did you yeah. get started? How did your family and you get started in this religion? Well, I, I was the fourth generation Jehovah Witness growing up in Sweden. My great-grandparents came to the truth in 1930. You know, they were kind of the first uh, non-anointed people in Stockholm. <laughs> And my family is really, really, really sincere Jehovah Witnesses. They're good people. They're not phony. They are not hypocrites as some people are. And I think there's a, I have a lot of good memories. I was one of the weird kids that loved field service. But uh, my nightmare as a Jehovah Witness was as a kid was not Armageddon. My nightmare was Bethel. Because my parents said, whatever Jehovah's organization asks you to do, you can only say yes. Um. Now we're all now. Were your parents on both sides? Your your grandparents were they also witnesses as well? I think you. Well, my father was a convert. So, but on my mother's side, it's like I'm one of these uh, witnesses that have a clan. You know, if I go to Sweden and I mention my mother's maiden name, everyone knows who who I am and my family am. We are <laughs> four generations and. Uh, yeah, and and, that, and 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 we're very, and as as a witness, uh, you you become very proud of your quote unquote theocratic history yeah. of your family being in the organization. One of the things I like about your channel is you're very very positive. You always try to to, to take that lemon and make it into lemonade, and I think it's yeah. important. And I tell and I tell a lot of former witnesses, you know, make sure that you help people to be able to separate the rank and file Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. And the organization, because they are not the same. They are not the same. Uh, the average Jehovah's Witness knows little to nothing about how this organization works behind the scene. And so they're just going along. Everything's wonderful. And they don't know. And um, that's why they always believe apostates are liars, because we say something negative about Bethel. And everything I ever seen on Bethel is clean, squeaky clean, squeaky clean, squeaky clean. And everyone mandatory report uh, talking about uh, spiritual paradise they never seen the ugly side and you're not allowed to talk about the ugly side and if you do you get kicked out yeah i mean it's, uh, I, I, I i just to tell you a funny story about how the jehovah witness mind works because when you're a jehovah witness even if you're not arrogant you believe like i lived in an isolated territory i was the only jehovah witness here and i thought that the worldly people would tried to kill me. There would be rallies around me with pitchforks and maybe I would get killed. But still, I so I'm not ashamed of this. I was very brave, very unselfish, trying to save people from the horribleness of not being a Jehovah Witness because I thought being wordless is the worst thing that ever can happen to anyone. And I wanted to save them. So it's a good thing. But when you buy into all that thing, I also thought that I was the even though I wasn't arrogant in a negative way, I still, the belief system makes you think that I was the most important person in the county. Yes. Because 
I was. It was Satan and Jehovah and the pitchfork and everything was around me and I'm going to fix the universe. Okay, so we were living in isolated territory in Norway and preaching as pioneers. And the people were absolutely wonderful. The, the worldly people were absolutely wonderful. And I couldn't understand why should these people die in Armageddon. And I was sitting by the fjord uh, all alone, eating my herring, thinking about paradise. You're supposed to think about paradise. I said, what would change in paradise? Well, all these wonderful people would be dead and I would be all alone. How does that make anything better? Well, we could repopulate it and I could take the best farm. But that feels greedy and also not moral. And why should I have the best farm just because I was the pioneer <laughs> before we repopulate Earth? I couldn't understand it. And in the end, I just realized because I read the book of Jonah that God forgave all the Ninevites. And I thought, this makes sense. There will be no Armageddon. God will just come and say, you were wrong, you were wrong, you were wrong. But since you have free will, I'm not going to kill anyone. And now I'm going to teach you how to behave. All of a sudden, everything makes sense. We're going to preach, but people will not be killed in Armageddon. So that's what I believed. Obviously, I could not say that out loud. I just thought after Armageddon, you will see the governing body sitting uh, in the desert under a bush like Jonah, like, you promised you would kill everyone. And God said, well, actually, I wrote in the Bible that I don't do that. <laughs> so that's what I believed. And then all of a sudden, being a Jehovah Witness was fun. No one's going to die. We're just preaching for the angels. And then there's a paradise. So I put, took up a book and found where's the biggest need of preaching work. So I decided to go to Mongolia. Mongolia is bigger than Scandinavia, had only 80 Jehovah Witnesses, basically no paid ro paved roads. So I wanted to go there. I started learning Russian. But then I woke up. And I did not want to wake up my wife. I did not want to live close to my family. So I had to move back to Norway. And when my wife, now ex-wife, uh, got sick. So I have ADHD and she has MS, which is that she's always tired. I bought a farm up here close to this congregation because this congregation is not fanatic or at least used to be not fanatic. It's kind of a fun congregation. They would say, they would say at the meeting stuff like this, that, well, we're going to not have a, a public speech to uh, talk today because it's such a nice weather. So after the meeting, we go out fishing. They would say stuff like that. So I thought, this is a great place to be Pimo. So I bought a farm. I moved here. And I didn't reach out for any privilege. And I was Pimo for 14 years. And if the governing body is watching this, I would have been a Jehovah Witness today, not an apostate, if they would have treated my sick wife with dignity, respect, and love. And they came and they dragged her out in field service even when she was tired. And they were motivating her with saying, everyone's going to die in Armageddon if you don't preach. And they were dragging her out and they, they were taking her home. And they said, do you feel the spirit? Do you feel happy? And she said, yes, yes. And as soon as they left, she was crying on the floor. And they were literally killing her. I thought they were killing her and other people thought they were killing her. But you have to obey the elders. It's the worst experience of my life. And in the end, I told the elders, could you please 
I know you mean well. I know you think that more field service is the solution to everything. Could you please read this scripture to her instead? That Jehovah loves a cheerful giver. And that's when everything turned and they started harassing me and harassing her to get to me. And in the end, I went full-blown apostate when she finally left. She left me with the words, I love you, but I love them more. So um, I don't like the Watchtower organization. I have nothing against the witnesses. And I would be a Jehovah Witness today if the elders, and this is real, if the elders would have read a scripture to a sick woman that Jehovah loves a cheerful giver, I would have been a Jehovah Witness today. That's the reason why I'm an apostate, because they couldn't do that to a sick woman. They had to come and drag her out, and she was dying in front of me. <sighs> That's why I'm an apostate. I could have been Pima for 100 years if she wanted. So I don't like the Watchtower organization at all. And I can forgive everything they've done to me, but I cannot forgive what they've done to her. So that's, that's why I live here in Norway. I moved to a place where I thought it was a good place to be a Pimo. And I could have a farm and take care of her. So it's a sad story. So at this point, where are your parents? Uh, where, where are your parents at this point? I found out that my parents just sold the family business, <laughs> which is kind of weird. They could have asked me, uh, but they sold the family business and moved to a neighbor city. So I guess they, yeah, they are still witnesses, of course. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they wouldn't speak to me. I have siblings that don't have contact with me. I met, uh, I did not meet my sister. She lives in Sydney. So I went down to Sydney in Australia for one of the protests. I do a lot of protesting. And so I went all over the world and my sister did not want to meet me. Well, she was okay with meeting me as long as we did not mention religion, which really doesn't work when you grow up with Jehovah Witness, everything we did as kid was centered around religion. And as of today, I am a human rights activist focusing on legal stuff. And she is a liar. So what should we ever talk about? <laughs> so I didn't meet her in, in, in Sydney, even though I wasn't even disfellowshipped. I was just an apostate protesting. Man, that, that's, that, that's deep. That's really deep. Yeah, I have like a huge family, at least 50 Jehovah Witnesses, and they're like hardcore Jehovah Witnesses. Uh, like all of them are elders and pioneers and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, and they're, they're, good good people. they're good people. Yeah, they're, they're good organization people. Yeah, they really yeah. So I, I, like I was Pimo for 14 years for her. And I, one of the reasons I lived in Norway was, you know, try to stay away from the family because they're, they're very pressuring to do more, do more, do more. I could be more anonymous in Norway because they don't know about my clan, which is kind of famous in Sweden. Uh, but um, when my ex-wife health got worse and they were just making her do more and do more and uh, she had a nervous breakdown basically and left me and obviously I was sad and they, people stopped shunning me. I had never done anything wrong more than someone left me. That's typical with religion. They say, we're the happiest people on earth. So if you're not happy, you're not one of us. So, 
So they started shunning me and for the only reason that my wife left me and she was sick and I don't want to say anything negative about her, but they were trying to solve all her problems by give more to Watchtower, give more to Watchtower, give more to Watchtower. And uh, and they were talking bad about me. But the reason why, why I couldn't handle more, four people called, like the story of Job. One of them said, so all of these people knew the situation very well. And the first one called me and said, from the local congregation, she said, what the elders are saying about you is not true. You're not the one making her feel so bad. And she was like, swollen in her face, <gasps> hyperventilated. Everyone could see she was sick. And she said, you're not the one making her sick. The, in fact, the elders are making her sick by forcing her to go in field service when she's sick and need to rest. That was, she, and she knew the situation well. And then she said, and I'm convinced that she has not more than three months to live. Mm. And then she said, so whatever you do, stop fighting with the elders because the problem will solve itself within three months. And she was the one that knew the situation very well. Then another brother called that also knew the situation very well. And he said, I've been working with, because he was a taxi driver, so I've been working for picking up people with MS and different diseases for the government, taking them to a hospital, stuff like that. So, And you get to know them because they go on weekly visits and stuff like that. So I've seen this many times. Uh, so he's not a doctor, but, you know, they can live with this disease, but they hit a spot where you just get bad and die. So it goes from crutches to wheelchair to grave really fast. And he said... And I, I know her, I, I love her, and basic, And he said, what the elders do is wrong. The elders are killing her. They try to guilt trip her to do more in field service while in fact she needs to rest. But, and then he said, don't worry because I think she don't have more than three months to live. So she, uh, don't fight with the elders because she's gonna die soon. And then there's so many single sisters in the organization. It's so easy to find a, si a sister when your brother. And then he said, from a brother's perspective, if you're not a Jehovah Witness, this will not make sense. If you have been a Jehovah Witness and your brother, you know what to speak about. He said, worst case scenario, if your wife does not die, you just have to find a worldly woman that will give you a blowjob. And then you admit this to the elder and you will be disfellowshipped for six months. And then you can come back and find a nice sister to get married. Jehovah Witness have this rule that if you divorce, if person A divorces person B, you're not allowed to marry person C. But if person A divorce person B, fuck person C, you can marry person D. Yeah. So two people, two people uh, talked about, spoke about three months. And then I spoke to my parents and my parents said, I, I was crying and I said, you know, what they're doing, they're just dragging out in field service, asking her to give more and more and more. And they're killing her. They're literally killing her. She's going to die. And my parents were just quiet and said, yes, maybe she'll die. But the most important that you're loyal to the organization. And it was not just impulsive thing. Everyone can say something stupid. They really knew about the situation. Four grown people said that, yes, we accept the premise that she might die. Or two of them said she would die. Luckily, she got stronger medicine and she didn't die. But at that point, I was convinced she would die. Other people were convinced she would die. And the elders were tell that some serious lender, by the way, walking around telling that no, she is sick. She's not sick. She's healthy. She just need to do more in the field service. Oh, yeah.
and she's a victim of spiritual abuse. And people were shunning me, and I basically never done anything wrong according to the Watchtower rule. So that's when I said, you know, I'm not going to wait three months for her to die so I can stay in this organization with a new Jehovah Witness woman. I'm going to fight them. At that point, I thought she would die. So I knew this is a battle I'm going to lose, but now I'm going to fight. <laughs> and I've been fighting ever since. Yeah. So if there's some elders watching this, please, if someone's sick, read the scripture, Jehovah loves a cheerful giver. And then you accept the five minutes report and back off. If the elders would have done that to a visibly sick woman that was in pain, if they would have shown that decency to her, I would not have these signs in the background, and I would not be an apostate. Yeah. So when I say I would gladly be a Jehovah Witness, that's from the perspective of the husband of my now PMA ex-wife. I would have done anything for her. So when she left, I left the cult like that, and uh, that was the only thing holding me. Like losing all my friends, all my family, that's nothing compared to losing your wife. Nothing. So, uh, I don't know if you're allowed to curse on your channel, but, you know, I couldn't care less about my parents when they say that they were okay with my wife dying. So, at that point, I stopped loving my parents. I, the way witnesses behave to her, I don't love them uh, in that way. So, leaving the cult is the best thing that ever happened to me. Life is so much better not being a Jehovah Witness. I'm not angry. I go to a, a lot of conventions and protest, and uh, the witnesses love me because they, half of them realize I'm protesting pro-Jehovah Witnesses. I'm protesting for human rights. So we're protesting against the way Jehovah Witnesses are treated in Russia and against the way Jehovah Witnesses are treated by the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. I'm never protested against the Jehovah Witnesses. I only protested against Watchtower violating human rights. If Watchtower watching, stop violating human rights and I will stop protesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Th this this idea of do more, do more, jump higher, jump higher, run faster, run faster. It is what actually brings a lot of people out of this organization because it shows you that there is absolutely no love. Everything is for the corporation. You, 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 at all points, like you said, your wife was basically being blamed for how she was, how her physical condition was. If you yeah. did more, and I've heard that, sister, if you did more, then Jehovah would bless you. So that constant, and like you said, it's amazing that they could have shared just a couple of scriptures with your wife, and you probably would have ended up staying in this religion because you would say, well, these brothers are loving, but they just kept showing yeah. that hand, as we often tell people, that, that cold hand of steel and that velvet glove. And after a while, people can only take so much. Only can take so I, much. I build, so I'm not a rich man, but I know construction. So I build a 35 square meter big house for her because she's tired. She was sick, literally sick. It's not her fault. No, no one's fault. Uh, but I have ADHD and more noisy person. So I build a house in the garden. So it's a real kitchen, a real bedroom, a real bathroom. Uh, well, in New York, you would be a king probably if you lived in that kind of nice house. It's only 35 square meters, but it's a really, really nice little house. So she could stay in that. And the elders decided that she was not allowed to. 
because I have worldly people helping me on the farm and then it would be brazen conduct if she left to that house. So where's the love? A sick woman cannot go out into the next building to sleep when she's sick because then I would be disfellowshipped for brazen conduct. Yeah. It, where's the love? So how did you wake up when you had your Russian experience? I know you had mentioned that before in some of your videos. Could you could you share that with uh, with our listeners and our, our watchers on, on our show? Yeah, so I, I went to Lithuania to learn Russian, uh, to serve in the Russian um, territory um, in Mongolia. But then when you're sitting listening to uh, the Jehovah Witness propaganda in a foreign language, the loaded language doesn't really work because you look at the literal meaning of words. So when they talk about the faithful and discreet slave, you think like, faithful? Ah, discreet? Ah, slave? Ah, it's, it's not a good word, slave. Why would Jesus use the word slave in a good way? That's not cool. And then you start realizing more and stuff like that. The words that you think about, when you hear that in your mother tongue, you go like, faithful and discreet slave? And then you read it in a foreign language and you take the literal meaning of that. Why would Jesus refer to someone as a slave? Just That's wrong to begin with. And then I remember I was reading, uh, to learn Russian, I was reading with a worldly teacher uh, my book of horror stories, you know? Because you know that by heart in my own language, it's pretty easy to read it in Russian. I know what all the words mean. So I was reading that and we came to one chapter and all of a sudden she looked at me and said, you believe this is true? I said, yes, of course it's true. And she said, well, for me, it's just fairy tales. I said, well, it's because you're a worldly person. And then the, next, the very next chapter, I <laughs> turned around and it was a picture of Noah and the animals jumping into the ark. And there were two kangaroos and it just my whole world just froze. Really? What, what was about the kangaroos that they kind of caught your attention? It was just my world just froze. And I just could hear this sentence in my brain. I wasted my life. Oh, <laughs> and I told my wife I we need to take a walk. And she says, "What's wrong? You're not saying anything. I just walk around because I realized everything was wrong. Because if the Bible is not true, the, the, the you know the kangaroos cannot jump from Australia to this and then jump back. Even if they would try to jump back, there's a sea and there's Himalaya between them, and they would probably be horny. That's a part of the deal. If they're going to repopulate Australia, so they would probably be horny before." the theocratical appointed time to have sex, you know, because I know that from personal experience. Uh, <laughs> so they, it wouldn't work, you know, even if it was a true story, then the, the kangaroos would have stopped somewhere in Israel and you would have kangaroos in Israel and nothing. So that's how I woke up and it was terrible. I thought, now I know it's the best thing that ever happened to my life. My mistake was that I thought, okay, give a witnesses as wrong. But it's still a loving organization, so I can be Pima for her sake. That's the biggest mistake I made in my life, no doubt about it. I should have woken her up before she got sick. Because when she got sick, I don't want to say anything negative about her. She's a wonderful person. But when you get sick and you're dealing with severe depression, all this problem, anxiety, being a member of a high-control doomsday cult is actually not a good thing. So that's my biggest mistake. That's how I woke up. It was a kangaroo that told me that this is not the truth. Yeah. Every, I tell people all the time, everybody has what's called a different aha moment. And uh, where you all of a sudden 
you start putting pieces together that you've had in your hand. And that's, yeah. that's kind of the, yeah, we have a piece of a puzzle. We have all the pieces, but unfortunately the organization makes sure we don't put it together. And yeah. Once you start putting it together, man, it is hard to unrecognize what this image is that's forming in front, in front of you. And what yeah. you'll see forming in front of you is this is not the truth. And that's, that's tough to back out once you start. Yeah. Th that's the illusion of the truth or the organization that everyone's sitting with, uh, a few pieces of a puzzle and say, this is wrong and this is wrong. But uh, there's probably not a puzzle. It's just me and these two pieces. And it's very important not to talk about it. I will be disfellowshipped if I show it to someone or talk about it. So everyone's sitting with, I'm Bethel, everyone like, uh, some, yeah. so everyone has, to, all the members, all the rank and file Jehovah Witnesses have all the members, uh, the pieces to put the puzzle together. It's very few that sitting in a position where they actually can see a bigger part of the puzzle and see it's wrong, like Barbara Anderson. You know, she had, was looking to the puzzle downwards. Most people like, oh, this is wrong, but the people higher up know that. Yeah. That's true. That's exactly right. If you have a witness and were allowed to talk to each other, the organization would collapse. Overnight, literally yeah. overnight. Because everybody would be everybody would be coming to the same conclusion and realize I'm not the only one who is thinking about this. I'm not the only one who is seeing. And that is a very effective tool in cult. They must make you at all times think that you are the one who is going crazy. I mean, that's one of the biggest things we hear. I thought something was wrong with me. Nah, nothing was wrong with you. You just yeah. didn't have all the pieces. I, I like the example you use. Uh, you, you refer to it as your Jehovah shelf. Yeah, you put stuff on your Jehovah shelf and you leave it there. Yeah. In Scandinavia, basically, the nature proved that uh, Watchtower is wrong because we have all these ice ages, and it's obvious. I have to make a video about that. But you can literally, when you're in a field service, people would just point at stuff in the garden and say, "You believe this is true? What about that?" And then they would point at the evidence twenty meters away. That was obvious to everyone and the only Jehovah Witnesses. And this was so embarrassing because the old, you know, we are the natives, even though we're white, we are the natives of Scandinavia. <laughs> it's possible for white people to be natives too. So we have all this mythology that the reason why this stone is here is because the trolls were fighting and throwing stones at each other. The way to explain all this geological thing with, with trolls because they didn't know about geology and the Ice Age. So in field service, as a kid, and this was embarrassing, even as a kid, you realize this is awkward. I love field service, but when the, oh, the elders started talking about trolls, it was awkward because the people in field service say, you believe this Noah and the Bible is literal? What about that stone? And they were uh, this geol geological phenomena five meters away, th this 100 metric ton evidence just here and the elders would say well have you heard the mythology about the trolls fighting and the bible mentioned nephilim and jehovah witnesses believe that nephilim might be the trolls and they start incorporating nordic mythology with trolls and elves and everything wow. in the bible <laughs> and even as a jehovah witness that was so embarrassing, so embarrassing. To be about the trolls in field service wow. So uh, back to the, the kangaroos, they, you know, defeat all the, I had all these stones and geology and trolls on the shelf and then just put two kangaroos there and they all fell down. 
and I felt so stupid. How can I waste a decade of my life on this? I always knew about it as a kid. I thought it was awkward every time the elders started talking about trolls. Literally, wow. I'm not joking. They were talking about trolls in field service like it was a real thing. Wow, it's amazing. Yeah, because um, the elephant in the room that always got me into all these troubles was that you're not allowed to mention ever that the Jehovah Witnesses are an American organization that see things from an American perspective. So all the explanations is just American. There's nothing wrong with America. That's not my point. But, you know, when it came to apply this to Norwegian legislation, I was always like, we have to do the legal way. It's not like I'm against the Watchtower. It's just they are not aware of every legislation on the planet. Got me into trouble. But also the way they explain geology and creation, it's like, what do people in Brooklyn, New York know about geology? Okay. And now we put that in a magazine and this is what we believe and it doesn't fit. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that is so important because everything is from the American perspective and yeah. tried to be pushed out around the world. And it, it, it doesn't, I've, I've, I've heard people say it before, you know, that's the way y'all Americans think that, you know, what, what Charles says, Russell was thinking living in Pittsburgh, has nothing to do with somebody living in Sierra Leone. I mean, you know, I mean, living in some various country overseas, it doesn't. But yet we try to make it sound as if it did. And you were forced, like you said, you were forced to make it fit. Even yeah. if you as a kid realized this does not fit. And you were actually forced to make it fit. And so it is. It, it, and you only see it when you step back and look at it, man. I mean, I mean, when I look at it now, it's like, I can't believe it. My sister used to always say, mama, this don't make no sense. And she was a kid and she was right. Yeah. So, I, so in, in, like, there's nothing wrong with America. That's not my point. It's just mm -hmm. the elephant in the room is that Jehovah Witnesses is an American religion and no one's supposed to talk about it, but it's kind of obvious. <laughs> and like, uh, for good or bad, I can give you one example. Uh, Jehovah Witnesses do really try not to be racist. I think that's a good thing. They try really hard not to be racist. And when they try to portray not being racist, they do this from American perspective. So they take a person of color, like you, a person that looks Asian, a person that looks Caucasian, and maybe an Eskimo or something like that, and put them in some nice costumes in, in a paradise, and voila, we have non-racist. And that's very nice. However, that's not how the rest of the world see racism. Like, it's not like a racist in Sweden don't like black people. There's no one here, you know? Hitler did not hate black people. He basically never met them. He hated Polish people, which you, Americans would think is white, you know? And I can see the difference on a face if someone's German or Polish or French. I can We can see that on the face, you know? So... Whenever they have a picture in, in Watchtower literature of happy people in paradise, there's a Caucasian person in a national costume in paradise. And I was a kid looking, why do they put a Slavic person in a German costume? Yeah. <laughs> and my parents like, what do you know? How can you know? Maybe he was adopted. Because we can see that the face does not fit the outfit but Americans can't see that. So they take a Chinese face in a Japanese outfit and a Slavic, like me and my wife, she's Slavic. So 
uh, if you would have asked Hitler or this old time racist, they would say it's a mixed race marriage, you know? <laughs> so uh, everything Watchtower do is from an American perspective and that's okay. Um, the funny thing is you're not allowed to talk about it and you're not aware about it. So I remember uh, when people try to be not racist, that's a good thing, you try not to be racist, but that includes trying to prove a negative. You can't prove that you're not a racist. So different cultures, you try to do different stuff. So Americans focus very much on the word. You should not use the N word, you know? While in Scandinavia, it's more focused on uh, giving people equal opportunities. So if someone would use the N word, that's not so important. The more important you, is you, you say something about equal opportunities, equal opportunities for education. That's what's how you prove you're not a racist. And I remember once they were talking uh, as a kid about racism, how Jehovah Witnesses should not be racist and in, in Sweden. And they talk about race and they say, well, what's, what about people from Finland? And they started talking, well, if you look at Brother Kompalainen, and they were like, basically, <laughs> this would be so not political correct if it was in America. <laughs> but they actually started talking. So when Swedes talk about the different race, they were talking about the people from Finland. And they were actually taking your brother and showing. If you see his head here and you see it's pointy and you have two pointy things, well, we have only one pointy thing and they were trying to do this. Yeah. They, 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 the Watchtower uses their own definitions and think that it applies equally across the world. And yeah, that, so, you, so, you really made a good point because you're right. And, and, and I take myself and, 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 and others, you know, an African-American, he would see basically five white people. I mean, yeah. that's what you would see. But as you mentioned, you literally are able to identify what group these individuals belong to. So for them, racism would take on a different connotation than it would for an American working in the writing department, putting yeah. in pictures of this represents racism. Yeah, that's a very I, good I remember I met some tourists in Denmark. They were Asian Americans. And I asked them, how is it to live in, in America, you know, with all these Ibanevery things, you know? It's, it's like Americans, everyone walk on eggshell all the time. And she said, yeah, that's true. And then they smiled and we say, and they told me, they refer to us as Asians. Do you think you will look Asians? And I was like, no, you look Chinese. Yes, we're not Asian, we're Chinese. <laughs> but Americans, they can't see that. They just see us as Asians. We're not <laughs> Asians. And they were laughing and I was laughing, of course, because I can see they're Chinese. That's how I see them, but Americans very, Dun, 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 dun. This is the racist category, and we use this word, this word, this word, this word, political correct, everything is okay. Everything and then is they make pictures. But um, I can promise you, a racist in Africa do not hate white people. He probably hate other black people. And a racist in Scandinavia hate other white people. You know, I can see the difference of a, quite often pick out just looking at the face if someone is Swedish or Norwegian. And that's still very much related the same race and to pick out someone from Finland is really easy because that is according to the crazy people would constitute a different race than my they're still blonde and uh, blue eyes and then you have the Slavic people so <laughs> everything is very American but you're not allowed to talk about it <laughs> that is so, so 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 in you so basically in, in your side of the earth you guys in congregations realize that there's much that is put into the publications that's simply unrealistic, but you cannot talk about it. Yeah, well, you couldn't discuss, uh, sometimes. Um, you had to be careful. You know, you had to be yeah, careful. I, I, you, had to be careful. you know, 
so sometimes you would lose an argument with the householder because he would look at the literature and say, this is propaganda. This is how propaganda, you have pictures of paradise, you have pictures of beautiful people, everyone is a movie star, everyone, everything is clean, everything is perfect. This is propaganda. And then the Jehovah Witnesses would often say, and this I heard more than once, like, yeah, but it's American. You know, it, it's American. That's how American do things. If, if Watchtower written in Sweden, we would be more realistic. Some people on the front page would be ugly. But, you know, this is American. So, so you have that extra level of expla explaining weird stuff. When Jehovah Witnesses do weird stuff, once maybe 10% of the cases, you would say, well, it's wrong, but it's American. And, you know, they have a way to do things. So you have an extra excuse to add on to your doubt. <laughs> so that's not anything against American. It's just human beings are weird. So I remember on meeting, they were explaining that uh, we should be nice to people from Finland, even if they have a different race from us. And they have blonde hair and blue eyes sitting in the same congregation. And then they went into detail to pointing at the brother, look at his head, look at the shape of his head and all this. And no one would think that's racist because that's not how we prove that we're not racist. Wow. So it's, not politically, it's not politically incorrect. That's it's just the point that he has the same opportunities as the rest of us. Then you're, that's how we prove that we're not. That was that was I was telling my wife that was one of the most interesting things that you mentioned in your um in your videos, the difference between all these Caucasian people. When I look at them, I see five Caucasians, but you were able to literally break down the Finns, the Swedish, the, the Russians, Lithuanians. I mean, and you you explain they are yeah. actually viewed in a they actually view themselves in a pecking order based on who got the assignment. Feeling well, I should we should have got that. We should, yeah. and I, I I never thought about that coming from a from a Caucasian's perspective. I just because that's not how we in America is black and white. Black yeah. guy got the job. White guy got the job. Yeah. And so that's kind of and and that's the limit. Uh, yeah. But in other parts of the world, there's other things. And like you said, in Africa, you have all these different African countries. They all look the same, but there's a difference between Nairobi and South Africa and Ghana and and. In that section of the world, they know the difference. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, it's, it's 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 really sad that we as humans are like this. But you know, it, it, yeah, it, it, it is. As you look back now, um, as you look back at yourself and your life, what would you say to people who are now reaching the point where they are starting to question? Well, it's like. Uh, there's a Norwegian saying, the evil that come from facts are smaller than the evil that come from ignorance. Wow. Could you say that again, man? I'm, I'm serious. I want you to, to say it again because people need to hear this. This is, this is deep. Yeah. The evil that come from facts is less evil than the evil that come from ignorance. If you're in a basement and you're afraid of the street, look looking out through the window gives you more fact and you're in a better situation maybe you find out there's there is a lion in the street like the bible says but you might also see that there's not a lion yeah <laughs> it, it, it is uh, it is worth doing the research i showed my mother you know it said in 1969 watchtower that People, uh, young people that grow up in the organization has to come to term with the fact that you will never get old in this system. 
I showed it to her and the cognitive dissonance. She was like, yeah, I'm really looking forward to be young again in paradise. Oh, wow. She could not, you're trained not to, to um, entertain any thoughts that's against Watchtower. Yeah. I mentioned oh. uh, uh, Raymond Franz, you know, and she never heard about him. And I know she heard about him because she was the one who told me about it when I was a kid. When 1975, that there was some problem in 1975, and 1975 was invited by invented by someone called Raymond Franz, and he left the organization because he was angry at the governing body because Armageddon didn't come in. They blowed, blamed everything on him, and he even wrote a book. Like yeah. writing a book is bad by itself; don't have to say anything. So she was the one that told me about this, but now she actually totally pushed it out of her mind. Yeah, that's interesting because she was actually blaming the nephew when it was actually the uncle, Frederick. Yeah, but, but at this yeah, point, I know. That's amazing. remember yeah. that Raymond Franz exists. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because they, yeah. they push it out so good yeah. that she, she actually claimed, and it was not like, I know my mother, it's one of the last conversations I had. They were like, Raymond Franz, who? No, never heard. Yeah. So... Um, when you're a Jehovah Witness, you love the paradise, you have everything invested in pet pen and all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, you, it's difficult to understand something that goes against you. Like, uh, why do we have a tailbone if evolution is not true? So one way of just being honest to yourself is that you do the perspective. You say, this guy is called Bob. How would Bob react if he read that statement? And then you see how would Bob react, because Bob has no feelings. And uh, this is a way to uh, go, you can use it in any, you can use it in politics, you know, what would Bob say about Bernie Sanders when Bernie Sanders said this? And you say, well, Bob would think so and so, because Bob have no feelings. It's, it's a way of educating yourself. And you can use that with the Bible, you can use it with politics, you can use it with anything. It's a way of being objective. It's an yeah. easy trick. Yeah, that, that's what that and that was one of the reasons why we named our channel what it what we call it, uh, critical thinkers. Because yeah. that was really the whole thing that was missing as we became involved in the Jehovah's Witnesses. Very little critical thinking was done, more emotional. You know, you're gonna see your dead loved ones, your health will get better, you will finally have plenty of food and money and, and, and resources. It was all emotion-driven, and that is why, even to the very day. Anyone who asks too many of the wrong type of questions will always get shut down because yeah. critical thinking questions are not allowed in this organization. So I hope one day that you're able to make it here to the United States. Yes. I want to come there because you've seen my backyard on my channel, Goat Like Personality, and I haven't seen your because I always wanted to go to Brooklyn. If you grow up in Europe as a Jehovah Witness, you heard Brooklyn, 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 Brooklyn. So let's go to America. It would be fun. Absolutely. And your channel, Good Like Personality, we love the goats. Yeah, thank you. I have a, a hillbilly channel called Norwegian Hillbilly with no watchtower because we have a paradise already now, you know. Watchtower think uh, you put your life on hold, put your life on hold, put your life on hold. But there is a paradise here and now. It's crappy paradise. But mine have goats. Like and subscribe, Good Like Personality. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in for another episode of The Critical Thought. This has been yes. Jason. See you in paradise. All right.
This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers.